Section five of the Luck of the Dudley Grahams by Alice Calhoun Haynes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Colleen McMahon. Monday, December fifteenth. Mother and I have had our consultation, and we feel better. It was rather like a general and his adjutant preparing for a siege. First, we mustered our resources. The house, so much coal in the cellar, furnace, and range. Miss Brown's seven dollars a week, hazards three. Next, the demands that were to be met. Lighting, always an expensive item at this season of the year. Milk for Robin, and the table expenses generally. The first thing to be done is to dispense with Rose, said Mother, pencil on lip. Apart from the question of wages, she eats a great deal. At this we could not help laughing. The parsimonious picture presented was certainly ludicrous, but on an income of ten dollars a week, every potato counts, and Rose has never been either efficient or economical. We have kept her for her cheapness and general good temper. She has washed the dishes, cooked after a fashion, and attended a great many funerals, apparently the more the merrier. It's my cousin's stepbrother's little boy this time, Miss Graham, she explained to Mother Saturday afternoon. That ain't no very close kin, cordin' to some folks' way of reckoning, I know, but I'm one of them that believes in keeping up the despectability of the family tie. Can I go? Of course, Mother answered that she might, and consequently Ernie and I washed the dinner dishes. So, though perhaps Rose will be sorry to leave us, since she once confessed to Robin in an unconsidered burst of confidence, she considers us a right smart family to do for. We cannot feel that she will be much of a loss, and as we know she can get a place any time she wants it with her sister, at a swell boarding house in the fashionable districts, we are relieved of responsibility on that score. So now it is settled and after next Saturday, when the Hancocks leave, we are to do everything ourselves, washing, cooking, sweeping, and all. I can't say that I look forward to the experiment with any particular thrill, but Mother is great to work with, and somehow will pull through. Perhaps you will be willing to admit by this time, Elizabeth, remarked Hayes this evening, looking up from Treasure Island, that I was right and you were wrong. My salary comes in pretty conveniently just at present, eh? Certainly Hayes's salary is one of the things we are counting on, but for all that I can't help grieving over him, poor dear. Though he does not utter a word of complaint, I know he realizes more keenly every day the magnitude of the sacrifice he has made. He was not cut out for a businessman, and finds it hard to adjust himself to the new conditions. This very morning he was in trouble, over Treasure Island, if you please. Ernie got the book from the public library Saturday, expecting to read it herself. But unfortunately, when she went to Sunday school yesterday afternoon, she left it lying open on the workshop table. Hayes strolled in, carelessly picked it up, and began to read. Naturally, when Ernie came home a couple of hours later, she demanded her story. But pleadings and protestations were of no avail. Hazard would not even answer. Apparently, he was deaf to all remarks. So, Ernie lost patience at last and tried to snatch the book away, at which Hayes rose, dazed yet dignified, placed it on his chair, and calmly sat down on it. "'I think you're too mean for anything,' cried Ernie, with flashing eyes. "'You haven't any right to take my story and keep it from me, just because you are stronger than I am.' "'Don't be a dog in the manger,' returned Hazard loftily. "'You can't possibly expect to read the thing while I'm sitting on it, can you? Go away and find something useful to do. You're only wasting both our time here, and naturally, when I've finished it, I'll give it back.' Ernie stamped and fumed, quite unable to appreciate the fine logic of this position. 
but Hayes sat stolidly on, till at last she gave in. She is always a generous child, and Hazard arose, resumed his story, and read rapidly till bedtime. Even so, however, he did not finish the book, and took it with him this morning to read on the trolley, in consequence of which he was carried seven blocks out of his way and arrived a quarter of an hour late at the office. Mr. Bridges, who is something of a disciplinarian, and determined to show no partiality, jumped on him like anything, he confessed to Ernie and me this evening, and of course, says Hayes, though I objected to the language he used, I was not in a position to resent it, which comes of being an office boy. Never mind, purred nice little Ernie, immediately forgetful of any rancor she herself may have been cherishing. Some day you'll surprise them all, Hazard. They don't appreciate you yet, dear, but we know, don't we, Elizabeth? Just let them wait a bit, and they'll see. Thursday, December 18th. Tuesday, I received an invitation from Aunt Adelaide to dine with them yesterday evening. I was to bring my mandolin, and after dinner, Mita and I were to play from Ireland. The fairy music is very pretty on the mandolin. There were to be a number of guests, an Englishman and his wife, a railroad president, and several others. And Adelaide extends me one or two such informal invitations each winter. I expect she considers it her duty, besides which it lends support to Mita, and two mandolins are better than one. Naturally, the first question was as to clothes. And Adelaide sees to it that two or three of Mita's last season's dresses are sent to me spring and fall. They are always chic, always pretty, and as we are very nearly of a size, they require little alteration. Yet, somehow, I hate to wear them, especially in their native habitat, where I am perpetually haunted by the discomforting suggestion they must be fatally familiar to all. However, it is expected, and Ernie declares that I ought to be grateful since I am thus provided with a wardrobe far above my station. She is too young to understand that this is just what I do not like. Last evening I wore a graceful little white Sora frilled frock garnished with artificial forget-me-nots. The idea, for a girl who expects to start in on the family wash come Monday. Uncle George's house, as I have remarked before, is very imposing. There is a magnificent display of plate-glass windows, a flight of broad stone steps, and a really oppressive vestibule. I was admitted by William, the colored man, who took my instrument, and told me that Miss Mita was above stairs, would I please go right up. Such a charming room as Mita has, all rose and mossy green, with soft rugs, a desk, a bookcase, her favorite casts and photographs, everything individual and personal, which seems to me the greatest treat of all. Come in! She answered to my knock, and turned half round before the cheval glass, a pout upon her pretty face. "'Oh, Mita!' I cried. "'How charming!' For the dress of which she was evidently trying the effect before the mirror was truly lovely, a nile-green rajah silk, with lace undersleeves and a touch of amber fluff at the throat. "'Do you think so?' returned Mita. "'You haven't really seen it yet. Come and look how the shoulder pulls. Now wouldn't that jar you?' There isn't much amiss, I answered. The underseam wants to be let out a little, that's all. I declare I'll give Miss Mary fits, returned Mita, her face flushing unpleasantly. It was all I could do to get her to promise the thing for tonight, and then to send it home like this. She's a big fake, forever working on Mama's sympathies with that cough of hers. I'm going to change, Elizabeth, see if I don't. All the girls are going to Madame Delahasset now, and I don't see why I should be made to look like a frump just because Miss Murray is delicate and has a pair of aged parents to support. 
you're exaggerating mita i returned there is nothing the least frumpish about that frock it's the prettiest thing i've seen in ages and as to the shoulder that's easily remedied and might have happened with any one do you really think so asked mita uncertainly why of course i do i replied and what is more i think miss mary is a wonder always so chic and original well i'm glad you like it admitted mita who is not difficult to bring around if only one is firm enough mamma believes in her but there is nothing that upsets me so much as a new frock see won't my amber buckle be the very ticket with this girdle it's stunning i returned and threw my hat and gloves upon the bed you look well yourself elizabeth continued mita turning jewel case in hand to sweep me an approving glance somehow i never appreciate how nice my things are till i see them on you those bunches of forget-me-nots for instance didn't look half so cute when i wore them but mercy child what have you been doing with your hands dishwashing i was forced to admit are they very bad mm, returned mita in dubious assent it wouldn't matter so much if we didn't have to play don't you ever use cold cream and then quickly before i had time to reply how can you bear it elizabeth truly now your life i mean my life i questioned you want me to answer honestly well first place it's interesting one never has a moment to be bored of course there are plenty of worries and a great deal happens that one doesn't like but the planning is exciting and the sense of battle then too there are such lots of funny things i'm convinced that nothing develops one's sense of humor like being poor that it teaches one to love one's family and gives one plenty of chance to show it too without being sentimental and oh it's good training in other ways for instance it would take a lot more than a new frock to upset me mita and here i stopped amazed either it was pride that made me answer so or i'd suddenly discovered that being poor is not altogether such bad luck i who have kicked so determinedly against the pricks longing for the luxuries we can't afford resentful of georgie because for him they are afforded well i must do better now since among the thorns there are roses to be found why not pluck and wear them Mita still stood before the mirror, trying the effect of the amber buckle. "'I don't understand a word you've been saying,' she confessed. "'I'm afraid you're talking through your hat, Elizabeth. But come on. Let's go down now. I'm ready, since you think my rags will do.' And we proceeded to the drawing-room, where we found Aunt Adelaide and a number of guests already assembled. Jeff did not appear until dinner was announced. He sat next to me, and after an unenthusiastic greeting began upon the oysters." It was evident he was in one of his moods. "'How's hockey coming on, Jeff?' I asked, under cover of the general conversation. "'It's not coming on at all,' returned Jeff glumly. "'Probably shan't play any more this season.' "'What?' I replied, for Jeff is the captain of his school team, a crack player, fast and wonderfully clever. "'Not even the Lakeville match? I thought you had it all arranged.' "'So we have,' muttered Jeff, crumbling a bit of bread between his fingers." the match will come off all right under a different captain that's all oh geoffrey i said for i saw by his face and the nervous movements of his hand how deeply the matter cut what has happened you're not in trouble again at school i'd get on all right at school returned jeff sullenly if only they'd stop nagging at home it seems the governor's not pleased with my reports one can especially blame him for that and the ultimatum's gone forth that I am to give up athletics, my place on the team and all. He's put up to it, of course. I'm sharp enough to know that. But, Geoffrey, I said, 
if scholarship is the only difficulty why don't you buckle down and study aunt adelaide is really anxious about you her motives are good and after all the matter rests in your own hands it isn't hockey as hockey that's objected to you know that jeff turned from me i saw that i would receive no further answer and yet i felt sorry for the poor fellow stubborn and headstrong as i know him to be when we returned to the drawing-room mita jeff and i retired to a window recess where we felt ourselves screened from observation mamma's evenings are so dull mita began plaintively one puts on one's best clothes and then nothing happens at all seventeen is a hateful age anyway it seems to me one is not grown up and yet one is no longer a kid fancy elizabeth mamma says i am not to come out until i am twenty did you ever hear anything so unjust all this talk about education makes me tired much you have to complain of jeered jeff a fudge party every other week and girls so thick about the house one can't move without stepping on em oh i'm not trying to infringe your patent replied meta smartly did you know elizabeth that jeff has taken out a patent on martyrdom since he's been forbidden athletics he has even got to give up his beloved hockey it's a national misfortune let me tell you that's all you know about it returned jeff but who'd expect you to understand anyhow you have an atom of sport in your makeup he raised an excited arm as he spoke and his ill luck would have it struck meta rather sharply on the side of the head i should have laughed had i been in her place for it was not really much of a blow and we were crowded so against the window seat that accidents were only natural but she cried out jeff stop that you hurt me and uncle george who was standing near enough to overhear the exclamation turned and rumbled in that heavy bass of his are you teasing your sister sir leave the room since you can't conduct yourself like a gentleman jeff jumped up and looked at meta as if expecting her to explain i waited too but never a word did she say then geoffrey very red and stormy walked toward the door how sorry i felt for everyone had turned at uncle george's voice and it sounded brutal the way you would order a dog meta i whispered how could you it was an accident you know that perfectly well meta raised her hand to her hair with an airy little laugh he must my pompadour all the same she explained and besides jeff will understand he knows perfectly well that i owed him one i turned away shocked and disgusted and presently aunt adelaide asked us to play the music went well enough people applauded and declared it delightful but so far as i was concerned the evening had proved anything but a success about half-past nine i made my adieus and was conducted home under the wing of the dignified and awe-inspiring william well i had not had a pleasant time but i think i learned a lesson meet his question and my unexpected answer in return certainly there are advantages in being poor for under given circumstances one would have to be so very selfish to be selfish at all that that in itself is a safeguard poor jeff poor meta i lay awake and thought of them late into the night they waste so much that is good and pleasant and are not nearly as happy as any of us whom they often pity i feel sure friday december nineteenth this morning as rose was sweeping the pavement in front of our house she was accosted by a small boy with ruddy cheeks and a red cap is he dead asked the small boy his head interrogatively to one side a half expectant half wistful light in his twinkling blue eyes dead says rose with a little skip who why him specified the small boy ungrammatically insistent 
the little chap which used to sit in the window and watch us play. I haven't seen him for three days. Of course he ain't dead, answered Rose indignantly, for with all her faults she is very fond of Robin. I guess he can stay in bed if he wants to without asking you. Shoo, get along, and she swished viciously at the boy with her broom. Then give him this, cried the red-capped one, hopping nimbly to safety in the gutter, and rolled a great golden orange to her feet. I bought it with my own pennies to eat in school, but I'd rather he had it, as long as he isn't dead, and he walked whistling down the street. It was Robin's chum, John, to be sure, and how Bobsy did enjoy that orange. It isn't everyone who has such good friends as me, he remarked with gusto, between unctuous sucks. There's Mrs. Burroughs, who sends over chairs and things just when you least expect it, and Francis, who wants me to have them, she said I might count him, and Georgie, even if we do fight sometimes, and my chum John. It's pleasant to have people love you, isn't it, Ellie dear? And very comforting, too. In one instance, certainly, the comfort seems to be mutual. Mrs. Burroughs has run in to see Robin several times this last week. They laugh and chatter away together in the jolliest fashion. Indeed, it is quite delightful to hear them, for Bob's has not a particle of shyness with his new friend, while she seems to find an almost painful pleasure in his society. The more we see her, the sweeter we think her, and there was not a dissenting voice when Ernie declared this evening that Mrs. Burroughs is next door to an angel. Saturday, December 20th. Rose left us this afternoon with many protestations of affectionate regard. If ever you want me, just call upon me, Miss Graham, she said to Mother. I'm ready to come back at any time at $18 a month and no questions arsed. I must say it seemed rather nice to have the kitchen to ourselves, the closet shelves all tidy and shipshape, and clean sash curtains in the windows. I had to get my first dinner alone, for poor Robin had such a wretched night and had been in so much pain during the day that we had finally decided to send for the doctor. He was expected at any moment, and Mother had to be ready to receive him. The potatoes were bubbling pleasantly away on the hottest part of the stove. The steak was salted and peppered on the gridiron ready for broiling, and I had just run into the dining room to take a last survey of the table before sitting down to cut up the oranges, when there sounded a tap-tap on the window-pane, and looking up I saw Hazard's anxious face peering in at me. Naturally, I ran to the basement door to let him in. "'Is anything the matter, Hayes?' I asked, for he has a latch-key, and it seemed odd that he should tap at the window. "'Hush, Elizabeth,' he answered. "'I don't want him to know I'm home just yet.' And he preceded me into the dining-room, threw his cap upon a chair, sat despairingly down on it, and buried his head in his arms across the chair-back. "'What has happened, Hazard?' I asked anxiously. Hayes swallowed hard, looked up, then let his head drop down on his arm again. "'To answer me, Hayes,' I urged. "'What is the matter? You aren't dismissed, are you?' "'Not this time,' returned Hayes unsteadily. "'But from our point of view it's all the same as if I were.' And then, in an ashamed and broken voice, the poor boy started in to tell his story. "'It seems that he was sent by Mr. Bridges this morning to collect a small debt for the firm.' Hayes got the money without any trouble, and started at a clip down the office stairs because the elevator was several flights up, and he wanted to break the record, so to speak, and accomplish his errand in such short time that Mr. Bridges, whose special hobby is promptitude, would be forced to notice and commend him. When he reached the curb there was no car in sight, and Hazard happened to remember that he had not counted his money. 
of course he knew that it must be all right for the firm he was dealing with is perfectly trustworthy and reputable however to make sure hayes thrust his hand into his coat pocket drew out the little wad of bills and proceeded to verify them there were two tens a two and three ones in all twenty-five dollars which was the correct sum hayes stood with the money in his hand thinking how nice it would be to have that amount to spend on christmas till presently a downtown car came bowling along hayes thrust the bills hurriedly into the outside pocket of his overcoat and swung on there was a fine-looking white-bearded old gentleman standing on the back platform he caught hayes by the arm and steadied him young blood will have its way he remarked in admiring reproof some forty years ago i swung aboard the cars in just such style myself thank you sir that's all right says hayes never stopping to think that it must have been stagecoaches the old gentleman swung aboard pleasant weather remarked hazard's new friend presently crisp but not too keen i see you are like myself and prefer the view from the back platform here to the stuffy atmosphere within oh the poetry of a great city he observed again there's romance here as fine and true as any hid away amid the snow-capped hills and sheltered valleys of my native state judging from your physiognomy my boy you are of the fibre to appreciate all that the brow of a scholar above the ardent eyes of a poet thank you sir says hazy again blushing a bit and thinking i haven't a doubt what a nice appreciative old gentleman he had run across i do like to watch the city and listen to its hum it's like wheels within a wheel if you can keep your place and pace all right otherwise otherwise concluded the old gentleman his eyes fixed abstractedly upon the guard who had walked the length of the car and was fumbling with the door handle otherwise it is what one might call bum and then much to the surprise of hazard he hopped lightly to the step swung himself off the car with a really amazing agility for one of his years and disappeared among the throng hayes was still staring blankly after him when he felt a touch upon his shoulder fair please said the guard hayes felt in his overcoat pocket for the nickel and turned pale the wad of bills was gone he had been robbed and the worst of it is added hazard that i shall have to make good out of my salary that means i won't be able to pay another cent to the family for eight weeks elizabeth and i'd planned what i was going to give you all for christmas and, and mr bridges called me a calf before the entire office i can stand most things concluded poor hazy with an angry sort of gulp but not not an insult of course i comforted him as well as i could and told him i would break the matter to mother but oh it took all my courage i can tell you when she came down a few moments later white-faced and so tired-looking after her interview with the doctor there was no use waiting however until after dinner we should have to wash the dishes then and she would want to return to robin so i began as cheerfully as i could and mother listened half as if she had expected it who could ever suppose that three dollars a week would seem so much she said at last well we can't have any christmas spree that's all i'm sorry dears but i do not dare draw anything from the bank there's only three hundred dollars left and we may need it all later somehow in the back of my brain i have half a suspicion what mother fears we might need that money for but i'm not going to ask her and make sure i haven't the courage that's all mother protested ernie who had come down to the kitchen in time to hear mother's last words no christmas spree what will robin think 
there there said mother almost harshly it can't be helped ernestine get the blue dish for the potatoes and then ring the gong we mustn't keep miss brown waiting so dinner was served but though miss brown was really very nice and said that everything was delicious and she thought we should find the new regime a real improvement on the old i could not feel much pleasure in her praise shall i tell you something asked ernie unexpectedly as she set a dish of milk for rosebud on the hearth after the table was cleared and miss brown had gone upstairs well uncle george is a devil there ernie said mother turning in the doorway with robin's tray which she was about to carry to the nursery i don't wish to hear you speak that way it is not right uncle george has been a good friend to us according to his lights and in this instance the fault is entirely with hazard he was foolish and careless, and we cannot expect an exception to be made in his case. It was against my wishes that he took a position. Now it lies within himself to make the best of it, and to try to overcome those faults of character which prevent his being the comfort and support to me that I have a right to expect. Poor Hazy, who was helping dry the dishes, blushed to the roots of his hair, and dropped a cup and smashed it. Oh dear, I do feel so sorry for everybody! that big splash is a tear and tonight there just don't seem to be any roses so there end of section five recording by colleen mcmahon